Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Coming up on Squats and Margaritas. We have this idea that we manifest things <laughs> happening to us. And I was thought that was nonsense, right? But it turns out that there's science behind it. Like, look, you are an athlete. I'm an athlete. Like, you don't just manifest a championship. You work really hard for it. But how do you do it? You're intentional about it. You say, I'm going to win this championship. I'm going to do that work. And because you do it, you show up more. You see the opportunities. When you see a, a talk about somebody who's going to inspire you to do more, you watch it because you've already alerted your brain to find those opportunities in the air. And so, you know, instead of the 50 million bits of data that come at you every single second, you tell your brain which pieces of data to pull out. So you're actually putting yourself in the way of opportunity. You're not manifesting luck. You're being intentional about being there when opportunities arise so that you can have them. Welcome to Squats and Margaritas. I'm Erin Washington, a mom of two trying to balance all the things. I'm a mompreneur, a former college athlete, and a woman that struggled for 20 years with body image, multiple eating disorders, and having no self-worth. I talk to strong, vulnerable, and authentic women and share conversations for other women to feel seen and less alone. If you are looking for tips on how to level up, balance all the things, or just listen and learn from strong, powerful women, you found the right place. This is Squats and Margaritas. Hey, senorita, really nice to meet ya. Have some tequila and stay. This week on Squats and Margaritas, it's best-selling author, success architect, and executive coach, Laura Gassner-Otting. She inspires people to push past the doubt and indecision, think bigger, and accept greater challenges that reach beyond people's current limited scope of belief. Yes, ma'am. She drops motivational gems on the daily, and I have her here to share some of her inspiration with you. Please do me a favor and hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode. That way you'll get an alert every time a new Squats and Margaritas drops. And please take two seconds to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Here is my episode with Laura Gassner-Otting. Hello, Erin. How are you? I'm doing great. I got you on my show, so I'm killing it today. <laughs> How are you? I'm great. I'm on your show, so I'm killing it today. <laughs> what I would love this to be is for you to go through some of the gems that I've gotten from you and kind of share them and break them down with my audience. Let's start with law school, because I know you went to law school and it kind of sucked and you dropped out of law school for Bill Clinton. Kidding, but kind of not. <laughs> Can we start there? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I joke around that I, I got to law school having been given a definition of success by a teacher when I was like in fourth grade. And she was like, you're a really argumentative young woman. You'd be a great lawyer. And I was like, well, you're wrong because, you know, I'm argumentative. So uh, I found myself in law school where I realized like on the very first day I was in the wrong place for me. Like, you know, those movies where uh, they call on a student and they ask like question after question after question after question until mm -hmm. the student collapses in a puddle of tears. Like that was me. Aww. And so 
I did what any self-respecting young woman would do in a moment where she was completely miserable is that I dated the world's worst boyfriend. And I joke around that the world's worst boyfriend had amazing taste in precisely two things. The first, obviously, being girlfriends and the yeah. second being <laughs> unknown presidential hopefuls from tiny southern states. And uh, on the way home from law school one day, he was giving me a ride home. We stopped at this campaign office of this governor from a tiny southern state who had no chance in hell of winning. And it turns out it was Bill Clinton. And he was giving this impassioned talk on a little TV about service, like community service in exchange for college tuition. And I was like, oh my God, that needs to happen. And I dropped out of law school and I joined the campaign. So yeah, I dropped out of law school for Bill Clinton. And, <laughs> it, it, and, and I would do it again in a heartbeat, right? I mean, there are these moments in life where you find yourself not realizing exactly how wrong the current situation is until you see the situation that's right that you need to be in. And it 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 allowed me not to run away from the thing that sucked, but to run toward a thing that was amazing. Yes, towards a new opportunity. And I want to yes. get into opportunity because speaking for myself, all I wanted, well I want, because it hasn't happened yet, is a TED talk. And I self-published two books because I didn't know how to get a publisher. Yes. You on the other hand <laughs> had a publisher come to you and was like, please write this book. Had a person from TED come to you and be like, well, you should do a TED talk on your recent blog. Can we just talk about opportunity and how I feel like if you're just living in alignment with who you're supposed to be on this earth, opportunity comes to you and it has most definitely happened to you multiple times. Well, you know, so in the writing of my most recent book, Wonder Hell, I, I did some research into the science of luck because... I thought that people are just born lucky. Like I have a sister who she will go to the most popular restaurant in town. She'll just walk up on a Saturday night and be like, do you happen to have a table for six, right? <laughs> Anyone else would get laughed out of the place. And for some reason, my sister, they're like, oh, we just had a cancellation right this way to the best yep. table of the place. And I never been that person. And I, I always wondered like, how do you make yourself lucky? And what I learned is that there's actually a science behind it. So my sister's lucky because she tries, she asks, she puts herself out there. She she, she, you know, she believes that good things are going to happen and sometimes they don't, but sometimes they do. And so we can make ourselves luckier if we put ourselves in the way of opportunity, right? So these opportunities just didn't come to me. These opportunities were floating around in the world and I put myself in their direct path, right? They had to find someone to write this book. They needed someone to fill that slot on the TEDx stage, right? You, you, the, if you are married to somebody, if you are dating somebody, they were going to meet somebody at some point. You put yourself in their path. And so we have this idea that we manifest things <laughs> happening to us. And I was thought that was nonsense, right? But it turns out that there's science behind it. Like, look, you are an athlete. I'm an athlete. Like you don't just manifest a championship. You work really hard for it, but how do you do it? You're intentional about it. You say, I'm going to win this championship. I'm going to do that work. And because you do it, you show up more. You see the opportunities. When you see a, a talk about somebody who's going to inspire you to do more, you watch it because you've already alerted your brain to find those opportunities in the air. And so, you know, instead of the 50 million bits of data that come at you every single second, you tell your brain which pieces of data to pull out. So you're actually putting yourself in the way of opportunity. You're not manifesting luck. You're being intentional about being there when opportunities arise so that you can have them. You shared a reel recently. It's making me think that it's like, if you believe it, you can do it. And you're like, yeah, but I can believe I'm the queen of England. Like you have to do it and you get the belief 
to manifest the things after like doing it more and more. So there is like action. <laughs> it's yeah. not just to believe. You know, I, I, I think there's so many people are like, if you can see it, you can do it. If you can dream it, you can do it. Like, Oh, right. Like that doesn't work. Like I ran my first mile of my life when I turned 39 years old, like I was a total midlife crisis. Like I wasn't fat. I wasn't thin. I wasn't, you know, weak. I wasn't strong. I just, I had two babies. I birthed a couple businesses. Like my body, I just hurt. I was like, I don't want to hurt anymore. And so I joined this boot camp. And in the boot camp, the coach, he he had us do like 45 minutes of calisthenics, at the end of which he invited us to the opportunity to run a mile. And it took me six weeks, six weeks to run the very first mile of my life without literally needing to like lean over and barf, like six weeks. But then I did it. And then I was all hopped up on endorphins. So I was like, I just did that. If I string three of those together, maybe I could do a 5k. And so I signed up for one. And six weeks later, I did a 5k and I say, did not ran because there were <laughs> like, you completed, yeah, I completed. Like there were guys <laughs> with double jogging strollers, like passing me on the uphills and trust. If I saw them coming, I would have clotheslined them. Right? I just, I, there's nothing more insulting. Right. But I did a 5k. And at the end of it, I was like, again, all hopped up in endorphins. Like yeah. if I string two of those together, maybe I could do a 10K and then I did a 10K. And then I was like, if I string two of those together, half marathon. And I live in Boston, you know where this is going. And I know I'm where now, it's going. <laughs> I've now run five marathons, right? And I'm going to run my sixth in, in a couple of weeks in Berlin. But if I woke up when I turned 39 and I was like, I'm going to run six marathons, like there's no way I could dream yeah. it. I could do it. Where did the confidence come from? It came from competence. I ran a mile and I was like, I could run three. I ran three. Maybe I could run six. I ran six. Maybe I could run 13. Like each time I proved to myself that I could do the thing, which allowed me to then dream about doing the next thing. And this whole idea that some people are just like confident and they've got big dreams makes the rest of us for whom that seems so, you know, far in the distance, literally 26.2 miles in the distance. <laughs> literally. It makes, right, <laughs> it makes us feel like we could never do it. But if we lower the bar, like put the bar in the basement, like just run five minutes today, tomorrow you can run six. Like if we just start with competence, we can actually claw our way to confidence in a pretty cool manner. I love it. And we don't start with competence. We start with imposter syndrome. And I know you talk on that too. It's like people plant these little seeds in our brain. So when we try something and as soon as it's hard, we're like, ah, oh, they were right. See, it's just like they said, you need to look at the people that see your potential and almost like remember your wins in those moments. Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of us um, have been surrounded our whole lives, whether it's family, whether it's like friends that are there for like history, not there for future, whether it's bosses and frenemies, whoever it is, we all these people who they look at us and they remind us of our worst moments. Sometimes like quite literally, they remind us, they tell us about our worst moments yeah. all the time. Um, and you know, like we've got those friends, like you lose 10 pounds and you see a friend, they're like, God, you look so much better than you used to look. And you're like, Hey, like how about just saying like, I look vibrant, strong, full of life. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, they just like, it's like these backhanded compliments. Yes. I don't know. They're just, they're yes. frenemies. They're, they're terrible. And, and I think that it just makes us continue to feel worse. There are people in our lives 
who are very uncomfortable as we grow bigger because they liked us when we were smaller, right? Yes. And some of us, some of them love us, right? Some of them don't want to see us get hurt. So they don't want us to like try new things or do, you know, scary stuff. Some of them are jealous. They they see our eyes, their eyes of their own stagnation. Some of them are just scared. Like we run into them at the, you know, line at Starbucks and they're like, you're going to do what? You're going to run a marathon? That's crazy. You That's too scary. And what they really mean is, that's too scary for me. Like I can't do that. So I think we have to remind ourselves all the time that we have to be super judicious about the people we keep closest to us. You know, there was a study uh, published in the New York times about 10 years ago that said that if you have obese friends, you are 70% more likely to be obese, Mm -hmm. right? 70% more likely. And here's the kicker of the study. These friends don't have to be like in your community. They're not even people you eat dinner with, go out with, party with, drink too much with, not exercise with, right? They have to be people that are just in your circle. So if you are consuming the content of people online that have bad habits, that are negative, that are always complaining, like what they normalize, you normalize, what they socialize, you socialize, what they think becomes what you think. So if the people that you are consuming the most of are not living a life you want, you are not going to live a life you want. I think that's pretty fascinating. So I've been really, uh, I've been very aggressive with the mute button on social media because it's not even like, I don't unfollow them. Nobody sees it, but there are just people who are living vibrant, big, joyful, happy lives where they are manifesting and full of luck and they're putting themselves in opportunities where they're trying new scary things. And those people inspire me to do it. I don't look at them and say like, wow, I'm jealous that that person got on that stage or got, you know, that media hit or did whatever. I look at them and I go, if they can do it, I can reverse engineer the roadmap so that I can learn how to do it too. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Now, back to squats and margaritas. You learn from it. You're not like triggered by it. Like, ugh. like some people unfollow for the opposite reason. Like, yes, I don't want to see that shine because you're not supposed to shine. You're, you're being like women are, you're being, um, 
like you're braggy and you're like, women are supposed to play it small. And I feel like just now it's kind of changing and being more accepted that you can kind of, it's okay to want more. And I know you talk about that in your book. And (laughs) so I think that ambition has been given a bad rap, especially with women. Now I'm not going to get political here, but there were studies that showed that when Hillary Clinton was secretary of state, she was one of the most admired women on the planet. When she was running for president, people hated her, right? People are fine with a woman in power, but they don't want a woman seeking power. That to me is really interesting. Now I haven't seen the studies for, you know, Republican, you know, women running for office. I'm sure it's probably the same, but I think that's really interesting. Like nobody ever says, oh, he's so ambitious. Nope. But with women, oh, she's so ambitious as if it's this like craven negative trait that we have. But here's the thing, Aaron. Would having more money, more time, more resources, more privilege, more strength, more power, more energy allow you to show up for the people that you love and the causes you hold dear? Yes, yeah, I mean, of course. Yeah. So it's not your ambition, it's your responsibility. And yeah. frankly, I think as women, we do much better with responsibility than ambition. So I'm out there like, I'm not like, I'm like, I'm an ambitious woman. But if that doesn't feel good, you could be like, I'm a responsible woman. Like, <laughs> I'm just cool. a responsible woman out here on this stage. Yes, that's a great Whatever way. gets you there. Acceptable. Exactly. Whatever, <laughs> Whatever gets you there. However you can embrace what you want. It's it's okay to be ambitious. And yes, it's totally fine for men to be. It's yes. making me think too, like anyone that's in your, I don't want to call them toxic, but I can't think of a better word. Someone that's in your life. I know people are like, never burn bridges. You see it differently. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like burning. I don't like burning. I'm in favor of burning bridges. I'm like there with torches and gasoline. <laughs> no, I, I, so I write in wonder hell. Uh, I was like, so this might be a moment to, to, to voice my unpopular opinion that I am in praise of burning bridges. Look, it takes a very long time for me to get to a point where I burn a bridge. Okay. But there is a point where we have to burn a bridge. Like if there is somebody who is actively putting themselves inside of your world and taking from you, right? They are smiles in the front. They are knives in the back. They constantly remind you of the one time you messed up and they forget about the 99 times you did great. They don't see you for your potential of who you are, right? So again, another study. There's a study that says that people who say, I smoke are far more likely to quit smoking than people who say, I am a smoker. So why is this? I am a smoker is definitional. Yeah. All the people around you are like, oh, Erin, she's a smoker. Mm -hmm. You're not going to quit smoking. But if they see you smoke one time, maybe you're at a bar, you get drunk, somebody else, you have a cigarette. Fine. You shouldn't do it. Kids don't smoke. But if you smoke, that's different than I am a smoker. It's easier to quit a habit Mm -hmm. than to change your identity. So when you have these people who are in your world who constantly push you back into a previous identity that you have grown out of, those people don't belong in your world anymore. And so I say like, it's okay. You don't have to actively be like, hello, like I could just sit down and talk to you. We are no longer friends, but you know, you just like slow down the frequency of texting you. You're a little busy. It takes a little longer to get on the calendar, right? People who need that drama and who need to feed off of making you feel badly will find someone else to make feel badly because they will die without that oxygen. Yeah. If you're You'll not giving them it to them. until someone else reels them in with their they will find someone else to bring their nonsense to. Yeah. Trust. 
Sarah Blakely posted something and it was like, I, I had so many relationships where they didn't want to see me grow and they did everything to like, bring me back. That is not your person. I actually posted on Facebook just a couple days ago that my feed is filled with people that, you know, that I consider my contemporaries, right. Which mm-hmm. are like people in midlife forties to fifties Yes, who are all like, getting engaged, getting married, going on honeymoons, like restarting their lives. And I, I am so impressed by that. It takes so much courage and so much faith to just decide to do something that is the opposite of what is like socially accepted norms. Like when things are not working and you have this long life still ahead of you, and yet life is really all too short. Yes. It takes so much courage to do what you're doing. And I think it is a role model for all those around you who look at you and say like, I can restart my life at any time. It's so tricky because thank you. And I want to be, cause I know some people that are like just in a marriage because they signed up for it and just are not considering their self anymore. I don't want to be a proponent for divorce, but I think it's interesting that you just said forties to fifties. I would like to see the stats on the women that file for divorce in their forties, because that is when we find ourselves and come into our own. I met my husband at 24. I didn't know what the hell I wanted. I said, I just wanted to be a stay at home mom. And I did. I had no idea this was coming. I struggled for 15 years with body image and eating disorders that I was going to my grave with, but I decided to share it. And what came from that was speaking and books and a show and a nonprofit. And it is exactly why I'm on this planet. And I know that, but he didn't see it coming and neither did I. And I'm not 24 anymore. At 41, I'm not who I was. And I feel like women are finally like they set some boundaries and they're kind of like, no, I'm not going to just put up with this anymore. So I would love to see the numbers of women in their forties that are like, yeah. you know what, <laughs> this doesn't work for me anymore. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I think that what came from that is not books and a show and podcast and stages and speaking and all of that. I think what came from it is inner strength. And when he was the one providing the strength, there was a different role that he was playing. And now that you have it yourself, it's very threatening, right? It creates insecurity. And um, people who, who... who people who define themselves by creating boundaries for others are not very comfortable when those boundaries get blown apart. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm in it right now. Um, and my kids are doing great. Like they're, I was, the last year has not been great, but I have been putting it off to keep the family together. And it's like anyone else hearing this and is staying in a toxic situation that you know is not right for you for the kids are surprised us so much. Like them being in two non-toxic environments with two happy people has been everything. And my final straw with like what was happening in my marriage, I have a seven-year-old daughter and I am not going to show her that this is marriage because that is exactly what she's going to seek out. And for me, that's when I was like, absolutely not. Because she's going to be like, no, this is what mommy and dad, this is marriage. And I couldn't anymore. And it's so freeing to not have to like, keep things from them and keep every, like have the weight of just keeping a peaceful household. Now we're in two separate households. The kids are thriving and it surprised me. So if you're doing it for the family, you may be creating a more toxic environment, keeping the family together. I had uh, drinks with a friend of mine the other day who is dealing with divorce guilt. She was like, you know, I was like, well, I wanted to be a stay at home mom. It was one of my biggest 
uh, values to have this intact family. And we weren't even fighters. We were like, we'd go silent. And I just thought I was tearing the, the family apart, you know, and, and she just feels so guilty still. And I said to her, I'm like, you're in a very happy relationship. Your ex-husband's in a very happy relationship. Your kids are thriving. Don't you think maybe you did better by them you helped to her. show them this example? Than- you helped her saying it. You, we have to keep reinforced you telling her that because you do think maybe you're doing the right thing, but you have to reinforce it. Yes. And you know, I- look, everybody like we get handed a definition of success when we're young, right? That teacher who was like, you'll be a lawyer, right? I had, I, I when I dropped out of law school and I joined that presidential campaign, I yeah. broke up with the world's worst boyfriend and I dated the man of my grandmother's dreams. And the man of my grandmother's dreams came in the form of a six foot two, nice Jewish boy, a medical student, mazel tov, right? Perfect family. <laughs> And his name was Alan. And every time I kissed Alan, all I could think of was like milk, butter, cheese, eggs. I got to start the laundry. I should probably get working on that report. God, like the dog needs to be groomed. And I, there was like no spark. And every time I would tell my Nana, my story of me and no spark Alan, as he became known in family lore, my Nana would look at me hearing her own definition of success disappearing. Like, oh, you mean my granddaughter, the one who married the nice Jewish doctor? Like she would see that disappearing and she'd be like, Laura, you just need to concentrate (laughs) and concentrate as I might, there was no spark. And, um, you know, if I had married him, I would have been a very unhappy person. Right. But I think what happens is we get handed this definition of success, like the right job, the right spouse, the right house, the right clothes and exactly the right size. Right. Like we get handed this definition and then we're told that we have to fit into that definition for the rest of our lives. And it doesn't allow us to grow and to change and to iterate and innovate and evolve. And frankly, if you're the same person and you have the same definition of success right now, as you did 20 years ago, my friend, we got to talk. Like that's a bigger problem. It's the point of life. You have to evolve. It should be celebrated and supported, not like punished and shamed. Yes. And if your partner evolves and grows with you, amazing. And if your partner doesn't work on that, and if your partner refuses to or resents you for it, leave them. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Leaving your marriage is not a failure. Another sentence that is giving me life right now from you. Failure is not the finale. It's the fulcrum. Yes. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. Guys, I have found the magic. And who would I be to not share that magic with you, my loyal Squats and Margaritas listeners, if you are looking for a little extra something? Maybe you're going out with the girls tonight. Maybe you have a date with your husband. Maybe you have a big work event. Maybe you just want to look bomb while you're out on your daily walk. You need Rejuvalift. Rejuvalift is a tightening clay that you just tap wherever you need it. Forehead, those little 11s between your eyebrows. I use it on the bags under my eyes, my crow's feet. You tap it wherever you need it. You let it sit in four minutes and the results last for up to seven hours. Make Rejuvalift the first step in your beauty routine. Even before you put on makeup, I have tried it. I am obsessed. It is magic. And now Squats and Margaritas listeners can get 20% off at rejuvaliftbeauty.com using code margaritas. That's R-E-J-U-V-A-L-I-F-T beauty.com and use promo code margaritas. 20% off, free shipping. You're welcome. Now back to Squats and Margaritas. (laughs) We have been told like if you screw up, 
you are a screw up, right? We have been told that once you make a mistake, everything is over. First of all, everyone's watching you, so you'll be embarrassed. Okay, nobody's watching you. We're all so focused on ourselves, worrying about everyone else watching us that we're too busy to watch anyone else. So like nobody's Mm -hmm. paying attention. My favorite quote from Eleanor Roosevelt is, we would worry much less about what other people thought about us if we realized how seldomly they did. nobody's nobody's thinking about us. So Mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about that, right? The spotlight effect, nobody's paying attention to you. So first of all, nobody cares. Nobody's paying attention. (laughs) You can fail. Now, failure, we are told you should follow your passion. Like do what you would do if you, what would you do if you knew you wouldn't fail? That's your passion. Mm -hmm. And I say that's nonsense. Like what would you do if you knew for sure you would fail and yet you would still want to do it over and over and over and over again until you got it right. My friend, that is your passion. And along the way, you are going to fail and fail and fail and fail and fail until you get it right. So failure is not finale. It's fulcrum. It's the place where we learn and we grow and we iterate and we change. Like failure is the greatest part of life. Like think about it. Think about the cocktail party stories you tell. Like, do you tell stories about when you marched in and you were immediately successful? I mean, you might, but you'd be the biggest bore at the entire party. Like nobody wants to hear that. You tell the story of when you totally face planted, where you completely like ate it, where everything fell apart And then you rose from the ashes and isn't it amazing? Ha ha ha, laugh at myself. And also now I'm the hero, right? These are the stories we tell. This is what makes us interesting. And in my 20 years in executive search, the most interesting people, actually, let me rephrase that. The only interesting people I talked to, (laughs) and I talked to thousands of leaders that I was stewarding through massive moments of career and organization disruption. They took left turns and right turns and U-turns, and that's what made them interesting. And they would tell me stories about when everything went sideways and how then they fixed it. And isn't it great? And what they learned about themselves. And that's the richness of our tapestry as humans. So, you know, leaving your marriage is not a failure. I would say staying in a marriage that is miserable and creating that environment for yourself and your family, that's the failure. The fulcrum is what, where you learn and how you grow and how you all come out of it as better people. Yeah. And it's not really failure because either you try something, it's either going to be a success or you're going to learn something. So it's not a fail. Like you learned maybe what you don't want. Like you said, the people that are most successful, most interesting had left turns and right turns and they had to pivot. You say everything that got you here won't get you there. Yes. This is about imposter syndrome, right? So in, in when my last book limitless came out, I, I worked very, very hard and I also got very lucky. I'm not going to say I got so lucky. I'm going to say I worked really hard yeah. and I also got lucky. Yeah. And the book debuted at number two on the Washington Post bestseller list right behind Michelle Obama. And I you know, gave a talk in front of 2,500 people and I opened for Malala and I took a selfie with her and I was like, <laughs> oh my God, Michelle Obama, Malala, this is crazy, number two. And there was this little voice inside my head that was like, how do you get to be number one, right? Like, I suddenly, have that, I have that voice, yep. Suddenly I had this like hunger that I didn't even know existed inside of me until it, I was so exhausted from the push of book launch that like the part of my brain that normally governs my humility was just gone. And this little (laughs) voice whispered in like the little voice that normally I can keep tamped down and polite. It's like, how do you get to do more? Don't you want to be bigger? And I was like, oh, I actually do. Oh. And so (laughs) I, I started dreaming about like, how do you get to be number one? Forget Washington Post. What about the Wall Street Journal? How do you do this? And I was like, this is amazing. This is exciting. It's humbling. It's wonderful. 
but I'm also full of doubt and uncertainty and insecurity and imposter syndrome. It's actually gone to hell. I'm in wonder hell. And I realized that wonder hell is the space in your psyche where the burden of your potential walks in and goes, Hey man, what you got for me, huh? Like, what are you going to do with this newfound potential that you didn't even know existed last week, last month, last year? And in that moment, you realize that everything that got you here won't get you there. But everything that got you here actually lays a foundation on which you stand that allows you to get to there. So in my research for Wonder Help, I talked to a hundred different glass ceiling shatterers, Olympic medalists, startup unicorns, everyday people like me and you, like people who were able to do things they never thought possible. And I thought that they would help me figure out how to get rid of imposter syndrome for sure. Because like, if you're on your like 10th gold marathon run, if you're starting your second billion dollar company, like you should have figured out how to get rid of imposter syndrome, right? You didn't. They didn't. It was kind of heart crushing to find out that <laughs> it exists all the time. But then I learned what they did is instead of going, oh, no, I haven't been here before. They go, oh, wow, I haven't been here before. How cool. And so they said, everything that got me to here won't get me to there. But everything that got me to here doing the research, creating a network, making mistakes and picking myself back up, learning how to learn. All of the things that I figured out how to do, I can continue to employ those same things to get me to the next place and the next place and the next place after that. So they didn't see it as I don't belong here. They saw it as like, it's an invitation not a limitation. And so they were just able to change completely their mindset around it. That said to them, everything that got me to here won't get me to there, but everything that got me to here was good enough to get me to here. And I bet I can use the same stuff to get to there. I love that. Let's get into Wonder Hell real quick. Just, it's such a great book. Wonder Hell, why success doesn't feel like it should and what to do about it. The burden of your potential. What are you going to do with it? It is a burden. It's like, I, I kind of start feeling that. I was like, I, when I interviewed Katie Couric, she was my number one. And then I got her and then I wasn't satisfied. Like I was satisfied for like a day. And then I'm like, who's net? Like, when are you ever going to be, <laughs> what's going to be good enough? And can you talk about how you set up the book, like the three towns and how you kind of move through the towns? Yeah. So limitless was a much easier book to write. Cause it was <laughs> like, we've been given this definition of success. It doesn't work. We find success. We're not happy. Why not? Cause we're following someone else's definition. Okay. So what do we need to do in order to change our career, our workplace, ourselves in order to get to where we want to be mm-hmm. easy. With wonder hell, everybody experiences the hell part of the wonder hell differently, right? So when you interviewed Katie Couric, you might've been like, that was cool. Who else is there? What (laughs) else can I do? Could I do it differently? Do I want to go bigger, better, faster, more? Or do I want to go deeper with what Mm -hmm. I have, right? Mm -hmm. So do you have doubt, uncertainty, imposter syndrome? Do you have stress? Do you have perfectionism issues? Like what are the things that you have in each one of us at every age and at every life stage have different things. So I couldn't write it as this linear book. And I was talking to my dear friend, Rahaf Harfouche, who is like my work wife. She and I talk every Tuesday morning. She's a a speaker and an author. She wrote a great book called Hustle and Float, which uh, is all about how we can be much more productive, but like in humane ways, but don't actually burn ourselves out. So She's amazing. Does uh, she want to do squats and margaritas? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, you should definitely interview her. I'm like, that sounds um, very interesting. Sorry. So I was talking to her one morning and she was like, God, she's like, it's kind of like a theme park where it's like, you sort of walk in and some people want to go to small world first. And some people want to go to adventure land first. And she's like, you could do it like a theme park. And it's like, 
you are here. So the book is organized into three parts. Uh, it's uh, Imposter Town, Doubtsville, and Burnout City. Yep. And each one of the towns has five rides. And each one of the rides is supposed to evoke an emotion that we have in that moment. Like the hall of mirrors is where you like see a reflection of yourself bigger than you thought you could be. Or, um, the roller coaster is how do you deal with uncertainty? The, um, the, the haunted house is how do you get rid of all those demons that are, you know, haunting you from your past, right? So there's yes. all of the, the merry-go-round is like, if you want to slow down and avoid burnout, right? So all of these different, uh, all of these different themes. And, you know, one of my favorites of the book is, is uh, the Imaginarium, right? I start with the Imaginarium and the Imaginarium is that moment where you have Katie on the show and you're like, this is so cool. <laughs> I never thought I could do this. Uh -huh. And also, what does it mean I can do next? Okay. Both because can be hold. You can hold both. <laughs> you can hold both. And what I what I know from my time in executive search is that internal candidates, when they apply for the job, they get interviewed, and in the process of the interview, they have to wear the clothes of that role, speak in the voice of that role, answer questions in the mindset of that role. And once they've done that, they've gone through the Imaginarium, and it's hard to go back. Like once you yeah. have seen yourself in this place, even before you do the anything to even try to achieve it. But the moment that you start to imagine yourself, wonder how sneaks in and takes <laughs> hold. And it's like, Hey there. So uh -huh. you, you, once you see this potential, now the good news is that people who don't have more potential never actually see a greater potential. So the great news is that if you're feeling uh -huh. the burden of this potential, congratulations, right? It's possible for you to get there. But I you got to figure out how to deal with the burden that you're feeling about when, why, how you're going to do it. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. Now back to squats and margaritas. I want to just touch on Burnout City just because I know a lot of mompreneurs listen to the show. I know that you're a mom. It's very hard for me to find the balance um, and be on with my kids. Like I am with my kids, but I'm not present with my kids. And admittedly, I'm it's very hard for me to turn it off as an entrepreneur. I also know that I need to delegate and I have not done that. I'm pretty much doing everything for my brand. Um, how do you find that balance of like, how do you turn it off? How do you make sure that you're putting enough of yourself in all the different boxes that mompreneurs have to fill? Okay. So I'm going to answer this question, having just sent my youngest off to college a few oh. weeks ago and sobbing the whole drive home. Oh. <laughs> um, the days are long and the years are short and the days are really friggin' long, man. The days are really long. I have a kindergartner and a second grader. The days yeah. are, oh, you're crying. You're missing so I'm out. crying. I'm crying. I mean, the days are really long because Aww. the kindergartner and the second grader are never going to be like, Hey mom, good job today. Thanks for doing finger paints with me. <laughs> Thanks for making my favorite chicken nuggets. They're not going to say that. But then you send your kids away, you launch your kids and you get a text messages. So I'm like, Hey mom, I miss you. You want to FaceTime tonight? Right. Or, oh um, you, you, so it's all like investment in and, and here's the thing. I used to move mountains to be there to, yeah. uh, to, to make sure that I could, uh, chaperone the like apple picking field trips and stuff when yes. they were in kindergarten and second grade. And about a month ago, I was talking to my youngest son and I was like, yeah, I'm like, remember when I used to chaperone those apple picking field trips? And he looked he at did. me and he was like, no, <laughs> he's like, you did that. And I was like, yes, I did that. And you he do goes, it for okay. you, <laughs> you do it for your guilt. <laughs> you do it for your own guilt. And I used to do every single one of them. And what he said to me next was this, 
mom, I don't remember you actually being there, but I'm sure in the moment I knew you were there. And I'm sure that allowed me to feel loved and safe and seen in a way that then built our relationship in the future years. And I was like, okay, that's kind of insightful and amazing. But what I also took from that was, geez, I could have gone to one out of every four and accomplished the same thing. Laura, <laughs> I have to I, do every one. <laughs> I am in it. I have two attendance things. Like, do I want to, I feel like if there are moms there, then I have to be there. And my son, he goes to like a Christian preschool and they have chapel on Wednesdays. So the first Wednesday I didn't go and he comes home. He's like, you didn't come to chapel. And my heart, it was like, he stabbed me in the heart. Oh, yes. And I was like, buddy, I am so sorry. Wednesday, you can bet, bet I can, I will be in the front. That kid, lot, there were maybe six moms at chapel of the whole school. Okay. And I walked in and was like, you told me that all the moms oh, Okay, so we're going to do a little exercise here. Okay, so yeah. when he said, mom, you weren't at chapel, did you say... What'd you say? You go, oh my God, I'm going to be there. I'm the worst I'm mom so ever. Sorry, I have to go. Buddy, I'm, I'm so, so sorry. sorry. I didn't know moms okay. were supposed to come. Okay. What could you have said instead? Oh, yes. are all the moms there? How many moms are there? What do you like about chapel? I, you would, would you like me to come once a month? I'd love to be there. Right. There were so many things you could have said. One yeah. day I was driving my kindergarten and my second grader home from school. And I said, I'm going to Washington DC tomorrow. Now I live in Boston, right? I'm going to Washington DC tomorrow. And I hear from the backseat again. So what do I say? Oh my so God, sorry. I'm the worst mom. I'm <laughs> yes. so sorry. Am I traveling too much? You think I'm always gone? Are you just, is it awful? And then they say, and I don't remember which kid said what, but I hear three things from the backseat. Number one, no, it was just that you were there last week. So we're just surprised you're going back to the same city. You usually go to different places. Okay. Number two, <laughs> we have a lot of people who love us, mom. So like we kind of have a busy life and we don't, we don't really miss you when you're gone. And number three, we think it's really cool when you go to fun new places. Cause if you like them, then you bring us. Wow. So we're Did just not hearing even what occur to them that I was hey. a bad mom. Who said I was a bad mom? <laughs> Me. So your response of, I will be there every single time. I'll never let you down again. You might not have been letting him down in the, in first, the first place. place. You're so doing we have it to, to feel better for yourself. The best piece of professional or personal advice I ever got was this. Okay. okay? You sitting down, you want, <laughs> I'm going to give it to down. you right now. <laughs> You're not that important. Yeah. Now at the time I was building my career, I was building my business. I was building my family. I was building my community involvement. I thought I was pretty important to everything and all people. Mm. It turns out I wasn't. And the woman who gave me this advice is this woman who was like a 70 year old, old, like Brooklyn Jewish, you know, mom who had founded and sold this company for like a bajillion dollars. And she was like, Laura, you're not that important. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, <laughs> listen, if you're building a company where you can't pick up your kids at school and put your phone in the trunk for an hour and take them out for ice cream or take them to the park, then you're either a micromanager, you are doing too much, you're in the weeds, or nobody else cares about your business but you, which means that when they quit, you are screwed. She yeah. was like, you need to figure out a way to do what only you can do. And she wasn't saying to me, I wasn't that important. She was saying, there are areas of my life where I am that important. And I need to double down there. So when you're walking out of school and the head of the PTA is like, hey, we just lost the, you know, somebody to like who the, the cupcake maker for the bake sale tomorrow. Would you make cupcakes? And you're like, awesome. I just had a conversation with Laura where I'm going to spend more time with my kids in an intentional way. I'm going to make cupcakes. But of course yeah. you have 17 podcasts you have, that you have to produce. You're getting ready to go give this keynote. You're working on that course. You've got a coaching client. You don't have any time to do it. So the mm. cupcake making time becomes putting your kid in front of Elmo and you being pissed off and making the cupcakes in the kitchen alone. Yes. You did not spend any quality time with your kid. Instead, you can say, you know what? I'm not able to do that this time. I'd be happy to do it next time. 
thank you so much for thinking of me. And then just walk away. Because <laughs> it turns out the next person who walks out of school, she's going to ask the same question. She'll yeah. find somebody. She'll find somebody. And then you can go take your kid to ice cream or the park and spend an hour with them. So we have to remember, you're not that important to the bake sale. <laughs> you are that important to your kid in that moment. I'm thinking like, then she's going to go talk shit about me and the PTA. They, I'm not important to her. So she's not going to do that. And if she was going to talk shit about you, she'd talk shit about you whether you made the cupcakes <laughs> She's talking about my outfit or something. she's a shit talker. That's the kind of person who's bridge. We got to burn, right? So good. <laughs> Laura, oh my God, this is so good. I could talk to you for the rest of the day. What is coming up for you? I know that I should be better. Like I'm going to promote this course or this class or whatever, but here's the thing. Like, if you think I'm interesting, come find me on social media. All my good friends call me LGO. So I'm at, Hey, LGO <laughs> everywhere. You can find me from Peloton to Instagram, to, 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 uh, to Duolingo, like <laughs> I'm LGO everywhere. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, on, on all of my social media, you'll find information about my books. You'll find information about, you know, everything that I'm doing. So just come meet me, say hi, sign up for my newsletter. I put out a newsletter every Tuesday called Hello Tuesday, and it's about the one thing I know to be true this week. I love that. Well, I find you very interesting. I'll be signing up for the newsletter. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas.